Good evening, everybody, and welcome to High Spirits. I'm Jay Stagman, and with me, as always, is my pal... Noelle Schmidt. That's right. You've tuned into High Spirits, which is a show uh, that Noelle and I host, in which we drink alcohol and we talk about ghosts. We do. Ghosts. Uh-huh. You tuned into the Amityville Horror uh, Part 2. We could not get it done in one episode. We just talked about the DeFeos. No. But we are back. We did not take a break. You probably did. <laughs> <laughs> so Noelle, you're actually still drinking the same thing. Why don't you go ahead and give your recipe? I am, but I'm I'm on another one. Oh, um, yeah. in my extra large cup glass cup thing. Um, this is the same glass that I used for all that whiskey that night that I drank that we recorded with Neil or I recorded with Neil. Oh yeah, that's right. I wasn't there. It's an extra large tumbler. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Why I'm like leaning in like this. I, I it's completely unnecessary. Sorry. We're being loud. We're sorry. Uh, it, I am drinking a homemade wine cooler cocktail. Um, it is three parts black box Cabernet to one part uh, Sprite Zero. Pardon me, I just spit a little. <laughs> a little bit of ice cubes. A lot of ice cubes if you're being me. And stir with a preferably blue straw. Thanks, yeah. Target, for your blue straws. Looking good over there, dude. Yeah, thank you. I'm it's doing very colorful. Yeah. All right, it's uh, red, white, and blue. It's patriotic. <laughs> oh, my God, I didn't even plan on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, in honor of the James Comey hearings. <laughs> Which were today. They were today. But if you're listening to this, it was last week. And it also is timeless. <laughs> I think we can all agree, having seen that, that we will remember it as a historical moment. It's so I real quick side note, and then we're going to talk about what you're, you're still drinking. Um, I (laughs) came into work and I was like, why aren't you guys watching this? And they were like, Oh, I don't know. I'm like, we need to watch this. This is a part of our history. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This, we have to document this moment right now. I agree. We are living in it. Yeah. So anyway. (sighs) Okay. Well, I am drinking a rolling rock. Ah, yeah. Okay, how's that going? It's going great. I still have it. I still have it. Uh, my eyes are a little glazed over, and uh, I remember the punch it packs. You're 19 all over again. That's right. Uh, nice. In fact, I'm so 19 that I want to, instead of calling it Rolling Rock, I want to call it Sterling Cock. Oh, my God. Which we did. <laughs> I was a kid. Oh. Oh, man. Classy. I never did anything like that, so. Oh, okay. Never. We led different lives. Yep. Nope. I'm lying. Or well, am I? We'll never know. We'll never know. As I put my drink on my cat butt coaster. <laughs> uh, speaking of liars, we were talking about Ronnie DeFeo uh, in the last episode. <laughs> right. Yeah, you always give me a segue. Um, and this part, we're going to talk about the paranormal phenomenon. We're going to talk about some more liars. <laughs> or not. Or not. It's hard to say. We'll never know. We'll never know. Um, so... Really quickly, we are going to take our point of origin from the Jay Anson book, The Amity Horror. Amityville Horror. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Um, Jay Anson is dead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he lived from uh, 1921 to 1980. I think that we would have a less controversial Amityville Horror had he... Like, lived to tell the tale. Right, because was the book wasn't even released when he died, right? No, it was. It was? Um, okay. 
came out in 1979? 77. 77, okay. Yep. So he, like, honestly did not know the phenomenon this thing would become. Mm-hmm. It, it sold 10, 10 million books. The Jay Anson, the Amityville Horror, on its own, 10 million books. We already talked about the cottage industry of this. Right. But there's, like, 2,143 things written about Amityville. Correct. Um, but the, the Jay Anson book is... Um, it's a really easy read. It, you, yes. can, you can do it in a night. <laughs> you can. Noelle and I did it recently. Easily. It's it's a page turner, and it um, it's not very long, but it's I, what I appreciate is that it's very concise. Yes. To the point, like it, he jumps right in. Well, I'll tell you why it's concise, um, and we're gonna get right there. Uh, the book, the Jay Anson book. Uh, is claimed to be based on the paranormal experiences of the Lutz family. And if you recently turned in, uh, tuned in, turned in, oh no, Rolling Rock. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm you yawning, you're Rolling t- Rock. I know. Um, <laughs> tuned in. We were talking about the DeFeos, and now we're going to talk about the family that moved in just after they left. So we were talking about how uh, Butch, or Ryan DeFeo Jr., killed um, right. uh, six members of his family. Five members. Wait, no, it was six. It was his mom, his dad, and his four uh, brothers and sisters. You are correct. I'm sorry. That's all right. I'm really good at math. If you know anything about this listen, show... I'm bad at math. If you listen to the show, you would know I'm awesome at it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, having the context of Amityville 1, we're just going to cruise right into uh, uh, where I'm going to take over, and uh, Noel's going to spit out some amazing color commentary. I'm going to go full let's. And then full Warren. <laughs> All right. Full Lutz is hard to go, man. <laughs> oh, they're tough. They're yep. tough. Good luck. Godspeed. So, I am going to take you to uh, 112 Ocean Avenue, which, of course, Noel talks about as being on the long, uh, sorry, the south shore of Long Island, New York. Um, you guys are familiar probably with, um, well, I'll start here. On November 13th, 1974, Ryan DeFeo Jr. shot and killed six members of his family uh, in Amityville. He was convicted of that murder in November of 1975. Guys, one month later, in December 1975, George and Kathy Lutz and their three children moved into that house. It wasn't a long time. It wasn't a long time There's a lot of people that think, like, so much time passed. No. They they cleaned up that house. I mean, the furniture... The the same. The same. We're We're going to talk talk about it. it. They really didn't do anything. Like, they cleaned up the blood spatter, maybe... Well, barely. Well, and we'll they, get into that, yeah. too, because there's some controversy. Right. There's some controversy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, the reason why the book is so concise, and this is what I was getting at, is that it really is a 28-day book. It's a chronic look. It literally goes through every uh, day of the 28 days. It maybe skips. Like, there are a couple of chapters where it's like, Days seven and eight. Yes. So, like, it does, like, combine a couple of days, but it goes through every day. Yeah. So, it's basically a 28-day account of uh, the Lutzes who claim to have left the house uh, because they were being terrorized by paranormal phenomenon. So, let's... let's. Oh, what yeah. F- I, I'm sorry. No. This is something we should have discussed before. I was like, oh, what fun it would have been if one of us took the side of believer and the other one took the side of... None. We can roll for it right now. We can. I mean, I think we already like have already fallen into those roles. So, 
Listen, I, I apologize. I have some thoughts and feelings. <laughs> All right. Go for it. I Yeah, I just do. <laughs> okay. So let's talk Lutz. Um, we have George. Let's talk about Lutz, baby. Let's, let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the Lutzers and the kiddos and demons and Jody. Let's talk oh, yeah, about that's Lutz. Good. Yeah, that's okay. Thank you. Uh, George is the dad. We're going to see a lot of him because he's kind of the protagonist. Yeah, he the is. The protagonist of the story. Um, he's such a bummer. Know, I know. He's dead. Um, <laughs> not because of this, but he was born in 1947. He died in 2006. He's dead of being a bummer. Yep. Being a curmudgeon uh, old bummer. Yep. His wife, Kathleen, uh, in the story, we will call her Kathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was born in 1946, and she died in 2004. So for their age group, they died uh, young. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems to me. Kath had the emphysema. She did. Smoked she, a lot of. Uh, she smoked a lot. Cigs. And they they actually reference all of her smoking. Yeah, they do in the, in the book. book. Like, Read it in the seventies. They're like Kathy's constantly smoking. Yeah, in that she book. was butt to butt in that book. Yeah, she actually like I I remember watching interviews with her. Um, smoking. No, she had a tank with her, and she was oh, like Kath. she was a young woman. She was probably in her forties, like forties or fifties. She probably had that like uh, what's it. A- disease now they know about the c cpod yep yep that's probably what it was but she yeah she would be doing interviews and she would have the tank with her and i was like this is no way to live kathy no so she probably had asthma and then she had cpod and Mm -hmm. then smoking didn't help Mm -hmm. so she had emphysema yeah it's terrible and she probably died before the esophageal cancer kicked in yep so yeah yeah because she was only 58 Mm -hmm. um so now, George and Kathy moved into uh, the Ocean Drive house um, with Kathleen's kids from her first marriage. She'd been married before. Right. And I believe her first husband passed away. I actually don't know. I, I remember reading that somewhere. But oh, I think that he was deceased. Uh, because George adopts, adopted the kids. Are you going to say that? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. So uh, she had uh, Daniel, Christopher, and Missy. Oh, um, Missy. Oh, Missy. Missy's, yeah. We'll She's adorable. Um, I actually didn't write down Daniel's age, and I don't know why, of when this happened. And then uh, Christopher was seven when this happened, and Missy was five. Daniel was the oldest, right? Yeah. I think he was eight or nine. They were all, like, they were all pretty, they're close. All pretty close in age. Yep. Um, they also had a dog named Harry, mm-hmm. who was a uh, Malmi uh, Labrador mix beautiful 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 dog yeah what a nice buffer um okay so that's the cast of characters and everything worked out (laughs) what could go wrong they moved in all right see ya Uh uh-huh uh they (laughs) did the disney (laughs) disneyland episode everyone tuned in and then they went to hawaii that's the brady's i got it yeah i got it i thought you were talking about saved by the bell i feel like they kind of lined up (laughs) yeah they do (laughs) um so the Lutzes, meeting George, uh, they bought the house in December 1975, 13 months, just a mere 13 months after the DeFeo murders, one month after uh, Ronnie DeFeo Jr., otherwise known as Butch, was convicted. Correct. Now, um, in case you missed it last time, um, or if you're just tuning into this episode, this was a five-bedroom house. Gorgeous. Um it was located on a canal. There was a boathouse. There was a swimming pool. Um, in the context of 2010, which is the closest I could find for a sell date, uh, the house was placed on the market 
uh, for 1.15 mil. So um, it's it was it was back on the market in uh, 2015, okay. I believe, for 800,000. Oh, so it depreciated. It depreciated. Well, we also yeah. Oh, okay. So, but that's after the housing, housing crisis. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. So that's probably why. But it's still like a pricey. Would you say 800? I think it was eight. Yeah, 800. Now listen, uh, the Lutzes bought this house for guess. $80,000. Oh, you knew. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I was like, I couldn't make it up or... <laughs> no, I know, but like, I mean, that's... Yeah. That's... If I could... I can't even dream of buying a house like that. I can't even dream of buying a two-bedroom house like that in Chicago well, nor for could they, because the real estate agent told George and Kathy that the DeFeo murders happened there. <laughs> okay. They, yep. They decided to buy the house anyway. Well, I think we can work around it. <laughs> Not <laughs> only did they decide to buy the house, Noelle... They, uh, for an added $4,000, I feel like I'm on uh, Paranormal prices Right, they bought all the furniture the Lutzes left behind. Was it 4000 or 400 No, it was $400. Okay. Did I say 4000 You did. Oh, shit. I'm thinking modern times. No, it was 400 bucks. 400 And I didn't mean the Lutzes. I meant the DeFeos. The DeFeos yeah. left behind their furniture, boys and girls, not because they wanted to, but because they were murdered. And so the real estate agent was like, well, we don't know what to do with this shit. It's all yours for $400. We'll take it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. So they knew all this, oh. which might come up a little bit later. Right. Don't know. Um, I'm not into foreshadowing that at all. No. Uh, the Lutz family moved in December 19th, 1975. <laughs> Uh, on a beautiful, sunny New York afternoon. <laughs> yeah. nope. Um, nope, not at all. So the day before they moved in, uh, which is December 18th, 1975. And this is actually the last time I'm going to chronicle the days because I felt too Jay Anson about this. Yeah. Um, they asked a Catholic priest to come in and bless the house. Now, um, in the book, so I'm going to keep calling him Father Mancuso until the end. Uh, Father Mancuso is actually based on a real life person, and that person is uh, Father Ralph Pecoraro. No, Pecoraro. Pecoraro. Uh, I think you nailed it. <laughs> Thanks. Pecoraro. P e c o r a r o. Got it. Pecoraro. Pecoraro. Sure. Let's sure. Go with. I'm not even gonna try to say it. Yep. Um. Yeah. So he went in. As he was using holy water and praying, he heard a masculine voice say, Get out. That's right. Um, so that's one of the most famous parts. You're welcome. I (laughs) set that up, you paid it off. Um, that's probably one of the most famous Amityville. Get out. Right? It's creepy as fuck. Uh, and you get the fuck out. Yeah. You go. Well, okay. Leave. Say your opinion about it one more time. Get the fuck out. Right? Uh, y'all, guess who did not even mention this to George or Kathy? The good father? Father Mancuso. He's, he's like, you know what? They're fine. Mm-hmm. In the book, he's like, <laughs> what's with these flies? <laughs> <laughs> he basically is like, yeah, I'm just not, I'm not going to say anything. They seem happy. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's not even Catholic. Uh, right, he was a Methodist. Right. George was. Anyway. George was, yes. Uh, anyway. 
He also practiced tantric meditation. He did. Yes, they both did, George and Kathy. Yes, they did. That was a thing they did together as a couple. Um, They were really into it. I'm trying to remember the name for it. Transcendental meditation. That's what it was, yes. Uh, Which they talk about also in the book. Yes. Yeah. According to the book, um, (laughs) Father Mancuso doesn't alert them to the fact that his blessing went horribly wrong and he heard the devil speak. (laughs) Apparently he went home and Father Mancuso, if you read the book, this is the most frustrating thing about it. He develops a high fever, blisters on his hands, similar to stigmata, basically has what's like a diarrhea flu type deal for six days and doesn't do anything. He's not well. And here's the thing about Father Mancuso or Pecoraro or whatever his name is. He is not an old man. Like, no. he's actually a young man. He's, like, in his early 40s, Maybe I think. Maybe late 30s. Maybe. Because like, he's also, like, a uh, counselor. He's a counselor. He's constantly referencing, like, seeing his mother, yeah. who is also not an old no. person. Um, so... I'm, you know, it's 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 not like he is an older man who like came down with something and it like is affecting him because he's old. They make it seem like in the book that they, this is debilitating, right? Like people so, come and see him and they're like, "You've aged." Yeah. So this mf'er six days after he's heard, and I'll do it one more time. Get out. He's like, you know who I should call now that I've developed stigmata. <laughs> I should get good old George Lutz on the phone. I should warn him of something. So he <laughs> calls. The idea is he's trying to tell George Lutz to to stay out of the second floor room where he's heard that voice. Meanwhile, the book tells us um, this was the room that Kathy was planning on using as a sewing room. <laughs> <laughs> they really like really pushed push that sewing room. They really do. <laughs> right. Um, Which makes you wonder, like, what kind of sewing was Kathy doing? Because they they really want to tell us about her craft. Right. Between smoking and sewing. <laughs> she, I'm so being, surprised she didn't die of Between arthritis. smoking and being sad about her mother. Oh, yeah, that's right. Her dead yeah. mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe her, you said her dead husband. And possibly dead husband. Not like, a long-living fam. No. Sorry, Kath. Uh... Okay, so let's go back to this. So Mancuso tries to get George on the phone. He gets him on the phone, but he can't warn him. These are the days of those phones that hung on the wall and you need to, like, pick them up and actually dial numbers and right. record. Uh, Father Mancuso was like, there's too much static. So he and George did not hear each other. Right. He didn't go over there. Why oh, so far? Why follow up? <laughs> I mean, he his car probably ran on diesel. It was really expensive. Sure. Um, weren't we going through like a gas crisis then? Nope, that, that was later. later. I have no reason for nope. any of this. These are the um, Nixon years. You're oh. the, the Cartier years. The diamond. Right. The diamond uh, of the South. The diamond of the peanuts. <laughs> um, Jimmy Cartier. <laughs> uh, peanuts are diamonds in the South. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he, yeah, I have no, I have no excuse for him. I don't know what his problem was. Well, he was very ill. He was frail. And stigmata. And he was terrified. Wait, and when you're terrified, you do not warn the people who have asked you to come over. Right. This is all on him. Okay. Um, let's talk about the Hauntons. Okay. Should we talk about the Hauntons? Yes. Um, I'm not going to do this as a day by day. I'm doing this categorically. So I want to start with the house itself. So there were cold spots 
and odors of perfume and excrement in the house. They spend a lot of time on excrement they and did. a lot of time on cat pee. A lot of time on cat pee. And again, <laughs> if we've learned anything, what does cat pee mean? It means you should get your cat spayed or neutered. <laughs> it means you also have a ghost. Oh, no. A demon. A demon. Cat pee mm-hmm. equals demon. I'm yep. sorry. Barini's. Not yep. bur- Yeah. Barini's. Dybbuk. All the things Smurls. Right. Smurls. All demons. Yeah. All demons, All demons smell e- like cat pee. They smell like cat pee or sulfur. Uh-huh. Um, um, there were wind drafts and no one could explain the source. <laughs> It's so drafty in this old like, house. Uh, oh, this is so cold I in here. I need an Afghan. Somebody Thank God Kathy was a knitter. <laughs> no, well, she was a sewer, so... Oh, you're right. I don't know right, about right. knitting. It's a big difference. That is a big difference. This is disappointing. So you had mentioned this before. The house was plagued by swarms of flies. And when I say swarms of flies, please know that we're in December. So this is why it was phenomenal. But it was just in the sewing room. <laughs> it really was. Uh, uh, so we had flies, swarms of flies in one room in the middle of winter. <laughs> we had, that uh, is biz- that you must admit that is bizarre. And other people report that there were flies. I will fully admit that that's weird. Okay. I'm but I saying. also think that like, and clean your house. What I mean by that is clean your house. <laughs> you have maggots and I know, but they, but but. Like, we're going like, to talk about dude. the toilets and how much she scrubbed them. Ugh, all right. um, but it is bizarre. And they make a point of talking about how cold and snowy it was that year. Right, because George could not get warm because he kept fucking with that fire. George couldn't get warm and the children couldn't go out to play because it was too cold outside. I know. The flies are bizarre. Yes. I'm yes. just I'm just pointing it out. Please Paranormal continue. People. The flies are weird. Uh... I will also say this is weird. The locks, doors, and window... Uh, sorry, the locks, doors, and windows in the house were damaged by an unforeseen... An unseen force. Yes. So, locks, doors, windows, damaged. The front door, actually... Well, was... also, the priest allegedly, later on, like, his car was hit by something as he tried to go away. Mm-hmm. Their, the Lutz's van was hit by something as they tried to go away. Right. There's a lot of unforeseen or unseen forces. There was the thing with the boathouse door, right? <laughs> there really was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the house also had a green gelatin-like slime that oozed from the walls in the hall. And um, that green slime was also in the keyhole of the playroom door in the attic. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. Sounds like you've got a slimer. (laughs) And then, um, finally, in the house... It's ectoplasm. um, It is ectoplasm. Yes. Uh, There was a 12-inch crucifix. The only reason I wrote the um, size is that's big. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It was a big crucifix. It's a full foot. It really was. Uh, Kath hung it in the living room, and y'all... It revolved until it was upside down and gave off a sour smell. So that happened. (laughs) Which I believe. (laughs) What do you think about it? I want to know, like, what the sour smell was. Was it, like, sour milk? It was cat pee? Well, no, but, I mean, it has to be. It it must be. That's what everybody smells. Jasmine or cat pee. My favorite part about that is, like... Because we have to deal with demons in the story, we have to deal with an upside-down crucifix. 
Well, of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, let's talk about these kiddos who I feel incredibly sad for. We're going to talk their, about yeah. their experience here. I do not want to diminish them at all. I know I've been diminishing a couple of these things. It's only because of the rolling rock. Um, you can't blame the rolling rock for everything. I have to. <laughs> Okay. It's why I killed the six people in my family. Oh, okay, no. That was it. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> that was awful. But speaking of which, um, this to me is one of the most horrifying parts of the book. And I'm mad if this is made up. And it might be. Um, it says explicitly that the Lutz children began sleeping on their stomachs in the same way that the dead bodies and the DeFeo murders had been found. I hate that. It is not okay. That it's, is not okay. It's not okay. And if, if we'll, we'll talk about all the hoax stuff in a bit, but like if Kathy and George fabricated that or made that up, like, and exploited their children, that is and the DeFeos, and everybody else. It's not okay. Horrible. But if that is truth, that's creepy as hell. 100. Yeah. Yep. It's one of those little gems of the story that it's like, whoa. Right. True or untrue, it's extraordinary. Yep. Yep. Totally. For all of the reasons why something would be extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, we're going to focus on Missy. Okay. Uh, her full name is Melissa. At this point, she was five years old, but right. uh, we call her Missy. Cute little Missy. Yeah. Um, so Missy developed an imaginary friend in the home named Jody. Mm-hmm. Jody was a demon, uh, basically a demonic pig-like creature with red glowing eyes. Now, Missy didn't call her a demon, but that was what... No, no, no. You're right. You're right. That, uh, Missy said, this is my friend Jody. My friend, yeah. She would reference Jody, and she described Jody as being a pig. But so the when the adults got into it, um, well here's here's the other thing. I, like Missy, if you wanted to think that she was just like kind of childlike and innocent, you could, because mm-hmm. uh, Missy would constantly sing while she was in her room. However, when she left her room, she would stop singing. But when she walked back into her room, she would immediately pick up where she was singing, like where she had left off. Right. Well, I don't need. I don't think I need to uh, say it again, but I will. No, I was going to tell you. Let's say it at the same time. Kids are Kids creepy. Are creepy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I hate that. That's ugh. Right? Ugh. Um, so I'm going to bring the adults into this. Uh, when closing Missy's window, um, which Missy had explained to her mother that that's the window that Jody climbed out of. Mm-hmm. that Kathy saw red eyes glowing at her. Can we just take a time out yeah. to picture? Cause in my mind, Jody is a cute teacup pig. Um, <laughs> in my mind, to it be... is the most satanic pig <laughs> in the history of the world. And I'm frightened. Well, regardless, okay. she's a pig and, uh, who's with red glowy eyes and is uh-huh. demonic. And as a pig, is climbing out of a second story window. That's weird. Let's take a moment to picture what that looks like. Okay. Um, <laughs> pretty comical. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, another time George looked up at the house. Uh, did I mention that George always... You did. 
That no. he was that he was cold all the time. No, that he always woke up at three fifteen. I know we didn't discuss. Oh, that we yet. didn't discuss it. We're gonna discuss it. In a second. Right. Sorry. Uh. Yep. I'll discuss it in a second. But anyway, very long story short, he was outside in the dawn, uh, of the morning because he always woke up at this specific time, which we'll get into in a second. And uh, when he lived up at the house, after checking on the boathouse. He saw the pig standing behind Missy at the bedroom window. He then ran up to her room. He like ran into the house, went up to her room. He saw her fast asleep, but the walking chair was just like slowly rocking back and forth. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh. I don't like it. Right? Oh. Okay. One more for the miss. Uh, cloven hoof prints attributed to an enormous pig appeared in the snow outside the house. They said this was Jody. Or a deer or a goat. A deer. A female. I mean, <laughs> yes. I don't know. They live by a canal. I'm sure there's some wildlife. But no, more than likely. Not on Long Island. I'm kidding. Demon pig. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's talk about calf. Yes. Master seamstress. Um, <laughs> this actually bothers me a lot, too, because Kathy went through it all. I, part of me really feels like Kathy, um, if if this story is a hoax, if they were funding us um, for money, I, I kind of almost feel like Kathy's a victim in this story. Oh, 100%. I, I, she had so much loss in her life, and then she's here. Yeah. She's got these three kiddos. She moves into this, like, bargain basement, beautiful house. Mm -hmm. I don't think she really knew what she was getting herself into. You guys, uh, I get this. Kathy had nightmares about the DeFeo murders. Um, As she had these nightmares, she discovered the order in which the murders occurred and the rooms in which they took place. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Right. And Kathy also started sleeping on her stomach. She did. Yeah. Yep. She full tilt did. I will say this, and this is the part that's hard. I think anybody who's ever read this story, it's like, but who is this? Kathy, uh, this is like the one nice thing that ever happened to her. Kathy would feel a sensation as if being embraced in a loving manner by an unseen force. And it was always in her kitchen. Yeah, she thought it was maybe like an old woman. She thought she, I thought her she, mother, her mother, her mother or, was passed, I think. But like, it but, didn't make any sense in this house. Under the circumstances of this house in which we were supposed to believe. Right. That this is demonic or that bears are there. That this didn't, this was like the nicest thing about this haunting. Right. She felt, she smelled perfume. Yep. So it was like a little extra. Yep. And she, yeah. And then she felt this warm, this presence behind her that would touch her on the shoulder. And at one point she said that she did get an embrace. She got a couple hugs. Yeah. I think here's what I have to say about this. If Kathy needed to be convinced, she got what she wanted when she got that hug. Yeah. Yeah. Cause once you get a ghost, you're like, well, I guess there's more. Right. Um, here's not a nice story about Kath. Um, she received red welts on her chest. This was caused by an unseen demon or force, whatever. Um, and she was levitated two feet mm-hmm. into the air 
That's two crucifixes. That's <laughs> <laughs> It's 24 inches that of crucify. so much. It's a, it's that's a, high. That's high. Jordan had hops that were two feet. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) On one occasion, I'm taking it back to the sewing room. Uh, Kathy heard what sounded like a window being open and closed, (gasps) but there was no one there. Dun, dun, dun. Probably a pig. Probably. Yeah. No other. Another reasonable explanation, but the pig. Yep. Uh, okay, we're going to talk about George. George is the protagonist of this story, and he is the one that most of this uh, focuses on. Um, George would wake up every morning at 3.15 to go check on the boathouse. Now, later he would learn that this was the estimated time of the DeFeo killings. Right. Now, Noel, what do you think the chances are that he did not know that? They told him when they bought the house the DeFeo's up there, and... Ronnie of Amityville had just been sentenced a month before. Well, I think that there's a very strong case of him knowing that as it was a high profile case Uh um, all over the news. Uh It was easy to get an old newspaper probably Uh or go to the local library and look up the microfiche. Sure. (laughs) Um, and, And gather that information. So I don't believe that was difficult to find out. Sure. But regardless, it is true that every morning he spontaneously woke up at 3.15. Now, there's also a story, and I, I apologize if you're going to talk about this, about um, uh, George going into Harry's bar, yeah, which is where Ronnie used to hang out. Yep. And uh, In the book, they call it the witch's broom, in case you're keeping score. That's right. Now, George and, and, and Ronnie Lutz sort of resemble each other. In a way. In a, in a way, where basically with... The, the hair and the beard. Yeah. Um, and so in the book... Um, it was like, George is a family man who never drank, and suddenly he was drawn to the bar. Drawn... And maybe some promiscuous behavior? Uh, I don't know about that. Flirtation. Maybe. But the, his first time in the bar, the bartender's kind of caught off guard because he looks so much like Ronnie. Mm-hmm. That he's kind of like... Or Butch, as or, we were calling or, them. Yeah. Or Butch, correct. And um, and, and the bartender actually kind of calls him out. And he was like, you look like somebody I used to know. And yeah. eventually he tells him the story. And so um, it's possible that there's some truth in that, into that, where, like, he went into the bar and that, like, maybe they were like, oh, man, you really resemble Butch. Do you know the story? Because, you know, people at bars talk. And yeah. so they might have been like, this is the story. This is what happened. And he could have, like, taken that, too. Now, I don't... Sorry, I'm going to just go for another minute. Yeah, go. I don't dispute that he woke up every night at 3.15. Because How could you? That's... <clears throat> it's, that's that's what a, you said. Well, here's the thing. There's a common thing... Are you doing thing. the witching hour? Well, it's the witching hour. No, no, no. I was going to say there's actually a common thing with sleep patterns. Oh. Where if you wake up by... Um, it, it's something with... Um, like what's troubling you, like what's going on in your mind. And between certain hours of the night, if you wake up between three and four, that means that you have stress about like work. If you wake up like this is a theory um, and I'm I'm totally not getting it right, but I'm just using this as an example. If you wake up between like one and two, you have personal stress, things like that. I um, personally wake up or 
when I am like stressed out about things, I wake up at three, three thirty religiously. Like that's a consecutive thing in my life that happens. Well, that's probably me. just your circadian rhythms that are used to waking up and maybe you have right. to pee then or, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like, no, 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 but you're right. But like, but it's not consistent. Like it's not consistent. It's when like things are happening sure. in my life. Like that's the time that I get. Well, up. I will say as somebody who's like you and I are bad sleepers, but for right. different reasons, it right. usually takes me about an hour, like an hour, hour and 45 minutes to even fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So, so if and it has it, nothing to do with stress, it just has to do with who I am. Exactly. Like everybody, sleep patterns are so strange and everybody's yeah. like affected in a different way. So if it wasn't a supernatural thing that was affecting him, it was probably like you said, circadian rhythm yeah. or, um, it, it was whatever personal stress that was affecting well, him. I'm going to go was, with that. It was supernatural, but we should go along the path of supernatural. I think we should. <laughs> All right. I think we should. Um, I'm going to talk about the thing that uh, Noel talks about in uh, the first part. Let's talk about that red room. Mm-hmm. So George discovered a small hidden room in the basement behind the shelving. So he said it was hidden behind the shelving. Shelving. Um, it was four feet by five feet. He said the walls were painted red and the room did not appear in the blueprints of the house. So he started calling it the red room. Now that might be why uh, Butch, Ronnie DeFeo Jr. did not know why it was called the red room. Cause they might've had a different. Could sy- be. And now I'm also like syntax for it. I need to look this up because there was another thing too, where maybe he, I thought maybe he said that the room wasn't red. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Could be. I gotta look um, it up. I gotta find it. According to George, this room had a profound effect on Harry, who's that dog, if you remember. Right. Uh, also, it was the name of the bar that we just talked about, which is interesting. Uh, and the dog refused to go near the room and cowered as if it were seeing something mm-hmm. ominous, dangerous, spooky. Um, George would also wake up to the sound of the front door slamming. He would uh, go downstairs and find the dog sleeping soundly at the floor. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Sleeping soundly at the front door. On the floor. Um, Nobody else in the house seemed to have heard that sound at all. Now, if you're paying attention to the one, uh, the episode before, that might be an allusion to the notion that none of the neighbors heard anything in the DeFeo house. So if you're rocking the paranormal idea here, it might be that maybe this ocean drive house was like so demon, like so demonic that only the people inside the house could hear the noises, but nobody else could. Right. Okay. Just (laughs) trying to put flags on the side of the highway where things are important. Um, George would hear what he described as a marching band tuning up or a clock radio not playing on, like, the right frequency. When he would go downstairs, the noise would cease. Now, I'm going to say something here real fast. It's from a long time ago. Do you remember the bushes? Jenna and Barbara. They oh, said like, they yes. felt the same thing in the White House. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Again, if you're hearing this stuff, please leave. Just go. 
Right. And the, and the thing was, is that like, I get, um, uh, like I'll watch that paranormal witness show, which is on sci-fi or some channel like that. And a lot of these people are like devastated. We're like, they're saying, I couldn't afford to go anywhere. There was nowhere for me to go. Like, I don't have family, all of these things. Like I am desperate. This is my home. They had family. They had places. Oh, yeah. They had things they could do, like, or places to go. They could have left. Sure. And, I mean, they eventually did. I'm but... living at your, at your house now. Right. Yeah. This I'm is where it. you live now. <laughs> but if I ever got creeped out by my house, this is where I live. I would show up with, like, my cat, yep. my kid, like, Andrew. Like, we would all just show up at your doorstep Please. and be like, we're done. Yeah. We're here now. Thanks for your extra room. We're all, we'll all cram in. Um, so this next part we already talked about, but uh, George started hanging at uh, Harry's Bar, which in the book is called Witch's Brew, and they all told him that he looked exactly like Butch. Butch. Um, <laughs> this is one of my... Uh, Noel and I always joke about this. This is the lion in the house. It's like they have this like really tacky ceramic the lion four foot high lion. Anyway, <laughs> in the book, George trips over it, and um, for some reason, later on, he finds bite marks on his ankles. And instead of being like anything else, he's like that lion bit me. <laughs> <laughs> that stupid ceramic lion has gotten the best of me for the last time. Also, later on, this lion appears. Uh, in the living room after George uh, had moved it into the sewing room. Right. So the sewing room is back. Back. Uh, George. This is the last thing I have about George. This one actually reminds me of sleep paralysis. And as we've noticed, I, I would say that George probably just had like a lot of sleeping problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me what you think this is. George saw Kathy transform into an old woman of 90. She had wild hair, a shocking, um, she had wild, shocking white hair, the face uh, of an old woman with ugly lines and saliva dripping from her toothless mouth. Yeah, that could be. And when you learn more about George too, and like his money troubles and his issues with his business, sleep paralysis, sleep paralysis, sleep paralysis. There were a lot of things that were probably affecting his sleep because he had so much going on. He just bought this house. But that reminds me of the old hag from sleep paralysis. It totally is the old hag. He just put Mm -hmm. Kathy's face on her. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Now, if, but if I remember correctly in the book, they, say that Kathy actually woke up and also witnessed herself looking that way. I don't remember. I think so. Um, and she freaked out. Okay. Cause then her mother, it's not, maybe it's not her mother. Maybe her mother was still alive and it's somebody like another older woman that was close to her that had passed. But her mother, I believe showed up because she had all those welts on her body and like, she had all these things and her mother came to like tend to her. Ah, remember? I see. Cause I, re- the only reason I remember this is because I remember reading how like her mother came in to take care of her and she showed Kathy was wearing a robe and she showed her her naked body oh, yeah, that's right. with all of her stuff. And that's I remember right, yeah. thinking like, could I show my mom my naked body now as an adult? 
probably not. And Kathy was so, like, free and... Well, she was skinny. She smoked all those cigarettes. Right. That's all she ate. What? (laughs) All those cigarettes. All those. So, at this point, uh, George has decided that his house is absolutely haunted. Uh, And they do do a self-blessing. Oh, okay. Yeah. So... <laughs> they smudge it with the sage? Nope. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> they, um, George holds, uh, holds up a silver crucifix, and they both simultaneously oh. recite the Lord's Prayer. Okay. When they're in the living room, George hears a chorus of voices asking him, Will you stop? <laughs> the next time uh, they they experience all this stuff, uh, they do self blessing number two. Okay. So, uh, they do this on what would eventually be the final night in the house. Now, according to the book, this is actually totally fascinating because I feel like the Lutzes have not held out at all, but they their breaking point. The night they leave, they decide to leave the house. They leave all their shit. They leave all their furniture. They just get out. Well, it wasn't their furniture to begin with. So. That's right. Right. Uh, George Lutz declined to give a full account of what happened because it is, quote, too frightening. Right. So having published, I mean, like having talked to publishers and Jay Anson is doing this book, they still won't talk about what happened that last night. And they picked up their lives and they moved to, like, California. They did. So, that that's a thing. Yep. Um, like, he's, so, he, well, his business was already in the, like, tank. In the dumper, yep. So, it wasn't like he had to, like, kind of, like, he had to, like, probably tie off some loose ends there. But I think yeah. that was easy for him to walk away from. Yeah. On January 14th, um, George and Kathy Lutz uh, and their three children left 112 Ocean Avenue. Um, They left all their possessions behind. The next day, movers came in to remove the possessions. uh, And they said that nothing was weird about the house. Hmm. They said absolutely nothing was weird. Everything was fine. Well, so there's um, that. What? There, there. Can I? There are a couple stories that you, you didn't. Sure, go for it. Address that I think are bizarre things. There's the toilet bowl thing where, like, the toilet, oh, yeah. the insides of the toilet keep showing like this black residue. Yes, you that, know why I didn't talk about it? Because it's gross. Because I'm. Because you hate toilet stuff. <laughs> And I, and I do too. I, no, it's just, honestly, it really is because of, I mean, like, I'm giving the Lutzes a hard time. I can't. You know me. Yeah. It's. I can't cook fucking chicken. I know. It's gross. Yeah. So Kathy had to scrub and scrub to get that out. And yeah. then, like, she, she'd scrub it and then it would come back. Um, another story that I find to be really interesting is that Kathy's brother was getting married. Yeah, that's right. And it was like a New Year's Eve wedding. Yep. Um, there's this all like, like this. Hoop- and the money was stolen. Yeah. There's all this yep. hoopla around like Christmas and yeah. they ended up having like a miserable Christmas because George was so like, he had become like this 
horrible person to be around. He was freezing all the time. He kept throwing more logs in the fire, like, to the point where they were going to run out of wood. So now, not only did he look like Ronnie, he acted like him. He acted like him. He was cranky. He was hard to be around. Um, so Christmas was kind of a bust. And then they have this, this wedding to prepare for, which actually I think was the next day. Uh, it wasn't New Year's Eve. And the brother, who is a military guy, um, has... that That's kind of irrelevant. But anyway, he comes to pick them up because for some reason... They're not driving. Yeah, because, well, what's-his-face was drinking so much, George. Oh, right. So there's this, like, so the... the Which was, like, quote-unquote, out of character for him. But remember that what you were saying about uh, Butch is that he drank and did a lot of drugs. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, like... So George was taking on the characteristics of this person, if you wanted to do that paranormally. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the brother is... Who's getting married, which is, like where it's bizarre he comes to the house to pick everybody up and take them to the wedding. Um, and he is like, he, he puts his jacket on a chair in the kitchen, which has a thousand dollars in it, which is to pay the, to pay venue. the venue for the wedding. And, um, when he, they're ready to go, he picks up his jacket and the money's missing. And it's nowhere to be found. And they like talk to the kids and the kids insist that they didn't take it. The money is gone. Um, so George is able to like work out a deal with the venue where he like writes them a check for half. And oh, yeah, then he's going right. to like, he borrows money from his business and he like kind of fudges some numbers. Um, and then he is going to pay them the other half, like a week later or something like that. Uh, so, you know, the wedding can still happen. Everybody has a good time. Everything works out. It's such a simple story because yeah. it's so easy for somebody to just steal a thousand dollars also it's so easy for me to have forgotten how important that is because you're right his business was going under and he randomly in the in the time that he was there like this guy's money disappeared in his presence the money disappeared but yeah george was very quick to be like i'll take care of it and write a check to the yeah venue but make a big point about like what how this is going to hurt his business because he's actually like taking from his business and he still has to pay his contractors and, um, all of these other people. And like the, the the whole time he was also in the house, he was not going to work. He wasn't going to work. The accountant's calling him. He's being super weird. Yeah. The guys are calling him. Like people are like, you have to come to work. So you could be like, he's possessed Mm -hmm. or he's a deadbeat. Right. There are all these weird things happening. I choose to believe he was possessed. Well, of course. I mean, there's no other, there's no other reason for any of this. So, yeah. So that's just like another odd story that happened in the house. No, that's a really good one. Well, thank you for Mm -hmm. doing that. Uh, Before I get, well, I'm going to close up shop here. Uh, Now, I I know I said this at the beginning that Amityville Horror was written by Jay Anson. Um, Here's something that a lot of people don't know is that the Lutzes actually didn't work with the author at all. They never met. Nope. Um, he listened to 45 hours of tape recorded shit. And then he decided what would make the best story. So think about this. Noelle and I were already talking about this, but like the book is what? 175 pages, something like that. Yeah. It's thin. Go grab it. It is a thin yeah. book. He listened to 45 hours. So he just decided what would be in this book. Right. Which is pretty incredible. So Jay Anson, 
uh, never met them and just kind of made a really good story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I already said this, but the sales of the book were around 10 million copies. Noel, I think you wanted just to really briefly insert that thing about the um, uh, creating the story over a glass of wine or a bottle of wine. So uh, there, there is a story that um, Ronnie DeFeo's lawyer has told that after, um, after the Lutzes bought the house, he had met them and they concocted this story. Um, so the story for the book, basically they concocted it over drinks, over drinking a lot of wine and that it's completely fabricated and completely a hoax and none of the stuff ever happened. Now, obviously the Lutzes deny that, but this is what the lawyer states happened because how else would they know? all of this stuff about things that weren't mm-hmm. things that weren't necessarily um, in the papers or uh, on the local TV news. Um, like, I don't, I don't know that, that they had reported that, um, that the family was lying on their stomachs when they were found. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. There, there are certain things that like, intricacies that were happening to the Lutzes or they were claiming to happen that weren't widely known through the public. Mm -hmm. So that's where, if this was a hoax, it would make sense that the lawyer was like, ah, here's something that would really get them. Like maybe like George's behavior, the way Mm -hmm. like he was acting, things like that. Um, yeah. Now we are going to leave you with that because we are coming back with part three of Amityville, uh, Amityville. Um, we will be back in just a moment. Uh, we want to say thank you to uh, Wine Spritzers and Rolling yes. Rock. Yes. Um, part one was the DeFeos. Part two is the Lettes. And we are going to come right back with part three, which is interesting. It's the Warrens and other things. So please stay tuned. <laughs> the Warrens and more. <laughs> Noah has one awful thing to say to you. Sweet dreams.